Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. God bless you real good in Jesus' name. Today, I want to jump right into the Word of God. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15 to 16. The Bible says this, that he is the image of the invisible God. We read part of this text last week. We're just taking two verses. Last week, we did 15 to 20. I want to stay in 15 and 16 today. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Title of our conversation this morning is For Him, By Him. For Him, By Him. He is the image of the invisible God. <laughs> the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him. And for him. Listen, I remember back in the day, and I think this brand still exists. There's a brand um, of streetwear called Fubu, F U B U, really stands for for us and by us. And this is a brand that, you know, a group of guys, I think they were from Queens, one of the boroughs in New York, got together and decided that they were going to start a fashion label, a clothing line. The understanding or the background was the fact that most of the clothes that were worn by a lot of street people, people who grew up in the streets in New York, were designed by some rich white dude somewhere and were not in touch with a customer. And so they figured that, well, we might as well come up with a clothing line that is designed for us, okay, and by us. So this was targeted towards the African-American population as some form of streetwear and whatnot. So these guys got together, I believe there were four of them. Um, Damon John is the only one who's really popular, who I know anyways, and they started this brand. The implication, okay, was that there is perfect alignment between the customer and the manufacturer, that there is perfect alignment between the end user and the designer, that people who don't understand the customer, who've not lived the life of the customer, who don't walk the walk of the customer, who don't live in the same places that the customers do, cannot really fully comprehend the customer. And there is merit to that train of thought. It made sense because obviously they went on to become a very successful brand and whatnot. The idea behind it is that there is a perfect understanding of the customer that allows them to be more effective in designing product for this customer. For example, at work now, in my place of work, we do a lot of work with consultants and we have you know, the top consulting firms that are currently working with us on a number of different projects. You know, all the McKinsey's of this world, the Deloitte's of this world, the KPMG's, just name them, we have them a retainer, all right? And so a lot of times when I sit in meetings with the consultants, they come and they proffer a solution to a problem that we have put before them 
And a lot of times you have to draw a line through half of the solution because you're saying to them, you guys have copied and pasted a solution from somewhere else. You don't understand our context. And so the solution that you have designed is not applicable here. There is value in alignment between the customer and the designer. Hold that thought for a minute, okay? Just draw a line there. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered if it's the same God <laughs> that's in the Old Testament, that's in the New Testament? Have you ever wondered if God, there's a different God of the Old Testament and there's a different God of the New Testament? I don't know about you, but I have. I mean, if you've ever thought and said, you've ever read the Old Testament and you've said, I can't understand how to reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, mainly because in the Old Testament, you could see God's wrath come upon people very swiftly. You saw judgment was swift with God. You saw God do things that make you cringe and made you really fear God, all right, and instill the fear of God in people. Have you ever wondered if it's the same God <laughs> in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Because I have. In the New Testament, it's all love, it's all grace, it's all mercy, it's all, you know, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, you see <laughs> the flood of Noah, you see the curse upon Adam and Eve after the, after the sin against God. You see, you know, you see Sodom and Gomorrah, you see God deal with the Canaanites, and you see God even deal with Israel, all right, take them into captivity because of a failure to align with his laws. And when you read the New Testament, you're like, this doesn't add up. Did God change? Did God switch up his ways somewhere along the lines? Let me answer that to you, for you in a second. That's not where I'm going, but I need to pass through this bus stop to get to where I'm going. The reality is that God did not change. What's really happening is that the context and the focus of writing in the Old Testament is different from the focus of writing in the New Testament. All right, they are right in the Old Testament, for example, it's mostly historical accounts, stories about the things that happened to the nation of Israel and how God dealt with the nation of Israel. Historical accounts, and historical accounts particularly as it concerned the nation of Israel and their relationship to the laws of God. And so very quickly you would see the swift judgment of God because these things were mark, marked, okay, and markable, you know, bus stops on the journey of the children of Israel. You could easily see and say, wow, God is to be feared. God is not to be messed with. But the New Testament has a different context because the New Testament, for the most part, is not historical. We have some historical accounts in the Gospels, really, which is one book with four different perspectives, really. And then you have a bunch of letters, which we've been studying for the past few months. Letters from apostles to the body of Christ or to individuals or to a group of people. And the letters usually emphasize the grace of God because that is the focus. That does not mean that God has changed. It just means that it's not a historical account. So for example, even in the New Testament, you find sprinkles, sprinkles of some of the <laughs> swift acts of God's judgment. For example, Ananias and Sapphira, these guys came to church, told a lie, and they died at the altar. And <laughs> that was amazing. And the Bible says that the fear of God came upon all the people. All right, the Bible says in Hebrews, for example, chapter 10 and verse 31, that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 29, that for our God is a consuming fire. So there is still, you know, that dimension of God, the part of God that can be swift to bring judgment when people have violated his laws. But the focus of the New Testament is letters emphasizing the grace of God, the redemptive work through Christ. And so it does not capture all the acts of judgment of God. By the way, even today, God is still judging nations. God is still judging people. God is still judging families. It's just that the focus of what has been documented in Scripture, in Scripture, is mostly the grace of God 
and so on and so forth. But beyond that, there is another remarkable, you know, difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And that difference is the person of Jesus Christ. And let me say this to you. When you're looking at typology, right, in the Old Testament, all the other nations were the world. <clears throat> Children of Israel were a type of the church. And even within the nation, nation of Israel, you had people that were not obeying the laws of God. And so God would judge the nation. But when we look at the church today, we know that people are not all the way aligned with God. We know that sometimes we stumble. We know that sometimes we fall back. All right, but we don't see that swift judgment of God. The reason why is because of a person called Jesus. God has not changed. By the way, when you read the Old Testament and you read the whole Bible, there is nowhere in the Bible where you will ever see God say, I understand sin. God does not understand sin. Not because he doesn't want to. He doesn't have the capacity to understand sin. All right? He's, his nature is holy. And so, for example, if I come up, to come up here and say, well, you guys, I have something to tell you guys. In the past six months, I have not committed a single sin in the past six months. All of you are going to probably conclude in your hearts that your pastor is a liar. All right? <laughs> You're going to say, this guy is lying because clearly we know that that's not possible in our mind. As far as God is concerned, that is absolutely possible. As a matter of fact, that is perfectly reasonable to have as an expectation of us because he does not understand this whole idea of sin. God would never look at people and say, oh, you guys sinned so much against me. Hmm. You know what? I understand. I understand. I, no, God has no capacity in himself to understand sin. I heard a joke, but it would be funny if it were not true about how you know, in a church service, there was a particular lady who was about to prophesy. You know, some churches, then it happens, you know, the spirit of prophecy comes upon someone. Someone rises up and gives a word of prophecy to exhort, to encourage, to comfort people. And this lady says, you know, after blasting his tongues jabba, jabba, for, for a short while, now she's about to give the word of prophecy. And she says, mm, my, my children, my children, my children, do not be scared. Do not be afraid. I am also afraid sometimes. And, <laughs> and I'm like, stop, hold on, pause one minute. God is giving a message and God is saying to you that I'm also afraid sometimes. Clearly, that is not a prophecy. This is a joke, okay? If if not even something straight from the pit of hell. God has no capacity to understand certain things. For example, God has no capacity to understand sin. You will never find in scripture, God says, well, I understand why you guys fell into sin. I understand why, you know, you guys were messing with the Moabites. I understand why you guys were getting into idolatry. He has no capacity for that. But what has happened in the New Testament is the Bible says that Jesus has come. Jesus, who is perfectly God and perfectly man, has come upon the earth. And now he plays a role between God and man. There is a layer, an additional layer between God and man, who is the man, Jesus Christ. And he plays the role of mediator and intercessor. So therefore, God, for the first time, doesn't understand sin, but there is a frame of reference by which he can give us leeway, give us rope, okay? Because there is a high priest who has lived as a man, who understands the weaknesses of men and is now serving in the capacity as a mediator between God and man. We're talking about the fact that sometimes there is value in the customer or the user and the designer being the same person or having alignment. And so Jesus can do the job of an intercessor. Jesus right now in heaven, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and I believe verse 34, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father to forever make intercession on our behalf. So whenever the hand of God is about to move, there is an advocate who is in the courts of heaven speaking mercy. Not just Jesus himself, but also his blood. 
Because the Bible says that the blood of Jesus is speaking better things than the blood of Abel. And so if God would not even hear the blood, he will hear the son. And so the ministry of Jesus today is a very active ministry of intercession. He is standing in the gap on behalf of you and I. And so the wrath of God does not break out against you when you do something bad, when you tell a lie. The wrath of God does not break out against you when you have sinned against God because there is a very capable mediator who is fully God, understands the Godhead, and fully man understands the weaknesses of man. And so he can do his job as a mediator effectively he can do his job effectively jesus is our intercessor and i'm so so glad that he is doing this job today and he continues to do this job for you and for me he is the mediator and the intercessor understand also this that by the way by the way the ministry of an intercessor is one of the hallowed ministries in in god the bible says that god in ezekiel 22 verse 34 i believe the bible says that god is looking for a man who will stand in the gap. That's why Abraham is a ranking patriarch, because he was an intercessor. That's why Moses is a ranking patriarch, because he was an intercessor. As a matter of fact, in this church, one of the things we don't do is we don't have prayer warriors. We have intercessors. What's the difference? A prayer warrior is someone who says, all, you know, all the things holding my destiny down, tumble and die, some assault and die, and you can pray that on one spot for two hours. That's a prayer warrior. Oh, wow, what a prayer life. Wow, you pray for two hours every day. But when you look at the content of the prayer of that person, 95% has to do with you, your family, the things that you want God to do for you. An intercessor is a go-between who stands in the gap for a people, for a nation, for a community, for a family. Who stands in the gap before God? And as you intercede before God, one of the things that happens to you is that you start to gain authority with God. If you find a true intercessor, that person will always have power with God. Always have power with God. If you want to say, um, I don't have anointing, I don't have grace upon my life, just start to intercede. Spend time in prayer. Spend time for things that have nothing to do with you. Just the counsel of God. You would have rank with God and the prophetic would open up to you. Don't be a prayer warrior. That's what I'm trying to say. Be an, be an intercessor. That's a sidebar. All right? And so on and so forth. But where I was going with that is this. That Jesus is a very capable high priest because he understands man and he understands God. He has walked the path of man and he's walked the path of God. So let me read to you a scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 14. The Bible says that seeing then seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. We do not have a high priest who does not know the customer. Okay, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, Yet without sin. In other words, Jesus understands that, wow, when Satan came for me, he was just the grace of God that saved me. He understands our weaknesses. He was tempted at all points. When the Bible says all points, it means that there is no temptation that man would ever face that Jesus did not face. He faced the temptation for glory, for money. He faced the temptation, okay, for position and titles. He faced the temptation, every temptation that we would face. Jesus, the Bible says, in all points he was tempted, yet he was without sin. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. The Bible says in verse 16 that let us therefore, the reason why we can come boldly now before the throne of grace is because we have this high priest in heaven who is interceding for us. Can someone just say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you continue to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for everything that you continue to do for us. Jesus is a major upgrade on the Aaronic priesthood. 
a major, major, major upgrade on the Aaronic priesthood. Now, let me say this to you. The text we read, please listen to what I'm about to tell you, said to us in Colossians 1.15 and 16 that in essence, all things, all things were created for him and by him. Everything, not just you and I, but all things, according to scripture, was created for Jesus and by Jesus. Okay? So that tells you that the customer and the designer are the same person. That the person who conceived the idea that is Mike, or that is Boye, or that is Toju, or that is Brandy, the person who conceived the idea that is Wendy is the same customer for whom Wendy was created. Do you understand how powerful that is? That the person for whom you were created is the same one that created you. By the way, let's forget about all things because I can't go into that today because the Bible says all things. I want to talk about you and I. That the, the person, that one person <laughs> who made you also made you for a purpose and that purpose was for himself. The revelation of this reality is the cure for one of the biggest challenges that we face in our generation, which is the challenge of confusion. There is chronic confusion, acute confusion. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know if I want to live here or live there. I don't know if what God is saying to me. I don't know what I should be doing in this season. There is confusion that's plaguing the body of Christ today. One of the reasons why is because the revelation of what I've just said hasn't hit our hearts. And so I'm here to expand it. I'm, I'm here to help you see what I'm trying to say to you, that you were made for him and by him. You were made for him, <laughs> and you were also made by him. When we talk about the fact that you were made by him, that speaks to your source. When you when talk about the fact that you were made for him, that speaks to your purpose. In other words, your source and your purpose is Jesus. Jesus is the center and the circumference of your existence. If you miss that, you will waste your life completely. Chasing things that you ought not to chase at all. He said, look, I made you and I made you for myself. For example, I remember the other day we went to a restaurant. I placed an order, told you know, the waiter, I want my stuff done, medium well. He went and brought back something to me that was well done. Now, that meal was made for me, but it wasn't made by me. And so because of that, there was a defect. Something along the line was broken and <laughs> did not allow me to have satisfaction in the meal because it was made for me, but it wasn't made by me. And so here you are, you have God telling you that I made you for me and I am the one who also made you. So therefore, there is a high percentage, there is a high chance of success in whatever it is that you've come to the earth to do because the very one who made you is also the one who designed you for himself. So you're made for him and by him. So your source, your purpose is Jesus. When you have this understanding, you will not be confused. When you have this understanding, you will not chase shadows. When you have this understanding, you will not say, Pastor, I'm just trying to figure out what the purpose of God for my life is. It's simple. The purpose of God for your life is Him. Because you were made for Him. That's the purpose of God for your life. You were made. So Jesus is the center. He's also the circumference. So Jesus is the seed of life. And as that life starts to grow, he's also the boundaries of our lives. And so therefore, if you don't have the right relationship with something that is both your core and your circumference, you will be utterly confused. You will spend time. You will dispense your energy chasing things that you ought not to bother about because your purpose is simple. Him. Him. 
all things were made for him and by him. Listen, when I talk about the fact that you were made or you were created by him, that's in two parts. Every single thing, every single person that's been born into the earth was created by God. But then there is a second creation. There's a recreation, as it were, in your new birth experience. In the book of Ephesians 2 and verse 10, the Bible says that for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you are created by him when you are born. You are also created by him when you give to your heart to Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You were created by him. But you were also created for him. And I want to stay here for a minute. And this is in three parts. When, when I talk about what's your purpose, what's, what exactly is the purpose of God for my life? Let's talk about these three. If you do these three things, you're walking in purpose for your life. The first thing is to give him pleasure. You were created for him to give him pleasure. Remember at the baptism of Jesus? And Jesus modeled this perfectly, by the way. When Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased to give him pleasure. So does your life give God pleasure? That's the first for him, pleasure. And this has to do with your submission, your sanctification, your walk, your walk, your level of obedience is what gives God pleasure pleasure. I'm not talking about the positional pleasure you have when Jesus looks at you and says, you know, God looks at you by the, through the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about your walk with God, giving him pleasure. For him to give him pleasure. The second thing when, when you talk about for him is to give and bring him glory. Those are two separate things, by the way. To give him glory, that's in worship. And to bring him glory, that's by your good works. So the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, I believe, let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. To give him glory, that's your worship, and to bring him glory, that's what people do when they see you, when they encounter you, when they walk with you, when they see your life, they say God is good or glory to Jesus. That's your purpose, to give him pleasure to give him glory and to bring him glory. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 8, this is a story of Jesus. He healed a man who was born lame, a paralytic man. And the Bible says that the people, Matthew 9, 8, the people, they glorified God when they saw it, who had given such power to men. Paul said that people glorified God in us. So if people look at your life, people encounter you, and they're not able to say, God is good, glory to Jesus, it means that we're not working in purpose. For him, first, to give him pleasure. Second, to give and to bring him glory. And third, is to serve, to advance his kingdom by serving his purposes, to serve his purposes on the earth. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that you're, you're here to serve the will of God and to advance his kingdom. If you do these three things, your life gives him pleasure, your life brings him glory, and you serve and advance his kingdom, you are living a life of purpose. It's by him that we were created and we're created for him. Let there be no confusion whatsoever about what your priorities ought to be. It's him. And so any pursuits, I'm going to dig in here. Any pursuits that we have that we cannot trace back to Jesus, that we cannot find in Jesus, you're not going to receive credit for. It's like you've been given an exam, the 10 questions that they've given you, question 1 to 10, you abandon the 10 questions and you, you go on and answer 11 to 20 of your own. You made up questions in your mind. 
<laughs> made up your own questions and you answered them perfectly. You, 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 you perfectly answered the questions. You expanded, you know, those questions that he asked us when we were in high school, carefully expand, elucidate, um, on all, and you, you did 11 to 20. But those were not the questions that you were asked. And that's what many people are doing. You're chasing shadows, things that you were never asked to do, whereas the main thing you were asked to do, you've neglected. He says you were created by me and you were created for me. You were created by me and you were created for me. I'm saying this, that to say this, that if you pursue Jesus, you will find purpose. That's what I'm saying. That if you understand you were made for him and you say, you know what, all things aside for now, I just want to work, walk with him. I want to give him pleasure. I want to bring him glory. I want to advance his kingdom. You will find purpose. You will find purpose in walking with him. As a matter of fact, when you walk with God just a little bit, then he starts to tell you, this is what I want you to do. But many of us decide, this is what I want to do. And we start to chase the things that we want to do. And then we try to introduce God into the things that we want to do. And so a lot of frustration, a lot of spinning, okay, a lot of dead ends, a lot of errors along the way, a lot of costly mistakes along the way. And a lot of stress along the way. And God is wondering, why are you answering questions you were never asked? I was created by him and for him. I remember many years ago, 2008 is the year specifically. I met the Lord in 2005. Shortly after I met the Lord, I surrendered all to him. I started working with God faithfully to, my, to the best of my abilities, 2007. <laughs> After 2008, I got to a point where I, I, in my relationship with God where I drew a line and crossed the line. And I said, today I have crossed the threshold. Okay? If God never does anything else for me, God never heals me when I'm sick, never gives me a job, never blesses me with money, wasn't married then, doesn't give me a wife. If God never does anything else for me, I will still serve him. I will still follow him because I had come to understand that I was made for him and by him. Shortly after that, the Lord said to me, I have given you a calling. I've given you an anointing to raise me a generation of kings and priests unto God. He explained this, saying that kings are going to be people who are going to be very successful in their places of calling, whatever their secular life is. And at the same time, they're people who will be dangerously faithful to the serving the will of God. They'll be priests and they'll be kings. At the time that God gave me this mandate, my, I was earning $100 a month. And I know some of you are like, what? True. I was... I was a youth copper. If you know what a youth copper is, for those of you who are not from Nigeria, when you graduate from university, you are made to serve the government for a year. And they put you in strange uniforms and make you do strange things and they pay you little to nothing. Here I was, I had an MBA and I was serving. I was earning the equivalent of about $100 a month when God gave me this mandate. And it was, it was laughable. <laughs> Kings and priests, what a joke. Yeah, priesthood I can understand. But I can be, I mean, I can be a priest. What, what's this kingship thing? And I, I started to declare it boldly. Told everyone, started a conference. God has called me to raise kings and priests. There's an anointing on my life to raise kings and priests. $100 a month. <laughs> what a joke. And I started to see God in seasons of faithfulness move things around, advance certain things, move me forward. And I understood that, look, God is not out to punish you. No. On the contrary, his plans for you are actually better than the plans you have for yourself. You can't just trust him enough to allow him lead you and tell you. Some of you are like, God is like, um, let's go on a journey. Like God told Abraham. All right, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. 
go to a land that I will show you. Some of you are like, well, God, if you don't tell me what is at the end of this journey and what you have in store for me, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not moving an inch until I have a view of what, because you call it wisdom. And people ask you, so what are you doing? It's difficult to walk with the spirit. God will never tell you the end. He'll just tell you, let's go. And he will wait for you for a season. And when you're ready, because the Bible says about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, by the way, if you read it with a keen eye, you understand that Abraham did not obey God or did not stand up the first time God spoke to him. The Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abraham. In other words, he'd heard it before, heard it over a season, of, a period of time, and he was processing. After a while, he decided, okay, I would obey God. And he started to walk with The Lord had said to Abraham, get thee out. Not the Lord said, the Lord had said. So he'd heard it. He slept over it or slept, you know, you know, slept over, over the, the word he was hearing in his spirit. And then he decided to obey God. And God says, to a place that I will show you. <laughs> what? Do you think Abraham was idle when God called him? Do you think he didn't have an ambition? you think he didn't have plans for his life? You think that he didn't have things he was pursuing? He didn't have a dream? God says, come, let's go. He's wise enough to walk with God. And God starts to deal with a lot of things that he never asked God for. Abraham never asked God for money. God made him rich. Abraham never asked God for a child. God was the one who said, I will give you a child. God is interested in your well-being, but he's interested more that you follow him. That you are living for him the way he ordained or designed you to. I was made by him and for him. Please remember what I'm about to say to you now. Because you were made by him and for him, you are perfect for your assignments. Hmm. Listen, because you were made by him and for him, because both the designer and the user are the same person, you are perfect for your assignment. What's your assignment? Give him pleasure. Bring him glory. Advance his kingdom. There is nothing at all that is wrong with you. There is nothing broken in you that can stop you from doing these three things once you understand that, that I am made by God for a purpose. Therefore, I am perfect for my, for my assignment. This is a cure for esteem issues. This is a cure for identity crisis. This is a cure for confusion, okay, and dancing around in circles. It's, I was made for one thing. So whatever I'm doing in this season, if I'm able to bring him pleasure, if I'm able to bring him glory, if I'm able to advance his kingdom, I'm walking in purpose for my life. I am perfect for my assignments. You're perfectly crafted to fulfill the assignment that God has put upon your life, whatever that is. And everything else that you chase is secondary. I was made for him and by him. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me read something to you. Um, there's a lady called Sydney McLaughlin. Sydney McLaughlin. Sydney McLaughlin is an Olympic gold medalist and a world record holder for the 400 meters hurdle and sprint. After she set the 400 meters world record, 51.9 seconds, and received the gold medal, she said this boldly at the Olympics. She said this, records, pay attention to what I'm reading to you. Records come and go, but the glory of God is eternal. What? And I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. This is the speech of a person that has just won an Olympic gold medal and set a world record, etched her name on the tablets of stone of history. And she's saying something that sounds like an epistle to the Romans, that I no longer run for self-recognition, what? But to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. Listen to me carefully. She's 22 years old. 
22. You know, when I studied her life, I started to understand and listen and follow her. I was blown away by someone who understands that they were created by God and for him. I have no other purpose. I can win all the accolades. I can set all the records. But what matters is that glory goes to Jesus. That on any stage I stand, Jesus will be seen. That's your job. That's your entire job. But here we are, this generation, we're chasing, you know, you want to blow, you want to make money. By the time I'm 25, I want to have 7 million likes. I want to be Instagram famous. And God is looking at you and he's wondering, what, what are you doing? <laughs> are you using your platform for him? Are you bringing him glory? Are people looking at your life and saying, wow, thank God for her. Thank God for him. I no longer run for self-recognition. Are you working for self-recognition? In your career, are you trying to advance for self-recognition? Are you trying to advance so that you can you know, have a big title? But I do it to reflect his perfect will. I do it, but the motives behind why I do it is different. That's what she's trying to say. I'm a champion, no doubts about that. I've got the golds, two gold medals, actually three now. She's a three-time gold medalist. But I don't do it for the things that everybody else does it for. If you ever make a mistake of giving me a platform, Jesus will be glorified. And I'm not saying you should go to the office and start shouting Jesus, by the way. I have never said Jesus in my office. But every time people come to me and say, something is different about you. I just, people have come to me and said, just pray with me. You, you, you're so calm under pressure. You answered that question so well. And not knowing that I had no clue what I was saying. But the Holy Spirit in me was helping me answer the question. You don't have to go into the office and carry a Dick's Bible and beat people over the head. But when people see your life, see how you love people, see how you care for people, see the excellence with which you carry out your duties as if you're doing it unto the Lord, they must give glory to Jesus and say, there is something about you. In some cases, they'll say, I can't put my hand on it. You are different. And you can say, yes. I'm a person of faith. <laughs> That's what we say now. I'm a person of faith. But Jesus must get the glory in your life. Every day of your life, you live to give him glory. So the fact that you were made by him should give you encouragement. That you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You didn't come to being because your dad and your, par your parents were looking for a girl because they had four boys and then you were born. <laughs> you didn't come to being because your dad and your mom just got together. They were high school sweethearts. And then the natural outcome of a biological connection is children. No! You were created by a very intelligent and deliberate God. And you were not just created for nothing. You were created for a purpose. So you must have a sense of responsibility to the purpose that you have. And you must be encouraged and excited and appreciative of the fact that you were a deliberate act of God. Created by him and for him. All outside of Jesus. What I'm saying is outside of Jesus, life has no meaning. You know what? Many of us are going to get to heaven. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. Many of us, many Christians, not particularly just you, Christians, many Christians are going to heaven, are going to get to heaven, and they're going to realize that all the things that they spent their lives chasing were free. Hmm. You didn't hear what I just said? That all the things you spent your life trying to buy were actually free. Were actually free. When Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 6 and 33, hallelujah, when he says to us that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added to you. By the way, pause for a moment. This Jesus is the one we described last week who Paul described so eloquently. The image of the invisible God. The head of the church. Who is before all things. By him all things consist. The creator of everything. This is the Jesus who is advising. I always tell you, whenever Jesus is advising humanity, please pay attention to what he is saying. It's the truth. He said that you and I were not designed to chase things. And everything, and when I say things, I mean anything at all. Chase relationship, chase wife, chase husband, chase money, chase cars, chase 
uh, I want to go on vacation to Bora Bora. I want to do, I want to, you know, I want to post on Instagram, you know, living my best life, all that jazz. He said, you're not supposed to chase those things. He said, if you seek first the kingdom, if you understand that you were made for him, I mean, by him and for him, those things are free. So why do you spend your life <laughs> trying to buy things? You're spending all your, your resources to buy something that is actually free. Imagine going to a store and they're running a promo, okay? And they say, you know, buy one, get two free or something. And you go to the store and you say, no, I must pay for the extra two. I've worked really hard. I've saved money for the past five months so that I can buy three. I'm going to buy three. But these things are actually free. And that's what happens in the kingdom of God. Money, success, fame, all the things that people chase, glory, those things are free, people. It's free. <laughs> Stop working for things that are free in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew chapter 6, if you read from verse 25, where Jesus starts to tell that, you know, that, that analogy where he's telling that story, he's saying to the people that the things that you're seeking after, what I would put on, you know, the designers, you know, what to wear. If you're speaking to this generation, you know, the things that really, really matter to this generation is, you know, the, you know, the likes on social media, the number of followers that you have, a little bit of money in the bank, a little bit of drip, you know, all that stuff that you're after. He said, look, these this things you're looking at, you're looking for, he says that the Gentiles, in other words, the unsaved people are also looking for the same thing. Read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Very amazing text. But he says, now, for you, you cannot have the same focus as them. I have a different formula for you. What you need to do is this. You seek the kingdom. Stay with me. You seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Those things are going to follow you. Don't forget, the Gentiles are following those things. So here you have a reaction. You're chasing the kingdom. Things are following you. Gentiles are following things. So eventually the Gentiles would end up in the kingdom because they understand that the things that they're chasing are so abundantly available in the life of you and I and they come asking questions. And you say, let me introduce you to Jesus. And you usher them into the kingdom. That's how God designed it to work. But here you are, you and Gentiles, you've tied yourself together, chasing the same thing. You're hustling. You're doing everything within your power to blow up, everything in your power to have all these things. And God says, look, just relax. For me, first, I'll deal with your issues. There are certain existential questions in life. The first one is, who am I? That's an identity question. These are questions everyone must answer. Who am I is an identity question. The second one is, where am I from? That's a source question. Where am I from? The third one is, why am I here? That's a purpose question. The fourth one is, where am I going? That's a destination question. Who am I? Your identity. Where am I from? Why am I here? Where am I going? The answer to these four questions is Jesus. That's why I say, and I say it boldly, any life that does not prioritize Jesus, the person walking with him faithfully, is a wasted life. I can say it boldly without fear of offending you. Because it would hold up in, in the court of heaven as the truth. I've, I've settled it in my conscience that I must tell you the truth. Especially because, yeah, because I feel sorry when I see Christians who are chasing things that should be chasing them. I'm actually very, very concerned about the fact that you are having sleepless nights over something that is free in the kingdom of God. 
that you are stressed out, your blood pressure is rising over something that is not your business. The one who made you has made a provision. He's just asking you, turn aside. This is your path. Walk it. If you walk it, I will tell you, I would litter that path with all these things that you're chasing and you would have to chase if you go down this path. Do not pursue things that are free. Do not spend your money buying things that are free. It's not wise. Sydney said, I do no longer run for self-recognition. What kind of an athlete says something like that? That's the entire reason why you run. It's to become popular, to have endorsement deals, to break a world record. And she said, look, I don't run for these things. They're great, fantastic. But what I'm doing, I do for the glory of Jesus. Talk about a life that is modeling Christ in the marketplace. So you spend your life chasing things and scheming and trying to figure things out. But God is saying, just relax. You don't need to do all that. I've got you. I've seen God. I've seen him do things that make me understand, yeah, that was foolishness on my part. I didn't have to bother myself about that thing. It's free. It's a benefit. It's, it's a bonus. <laughs> it's a bonus. So let me, let me remind you about something. When God comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. This was God's idea. This was in Abraham's prayer point, by the way. Some of you who think that when you follow God, God is going to diminish you. I can't serve God with my talent. I have other things I want to become. You're just, you're just joking. You're just you're cheating yourself. It was God's idea. Abraham was minding his business. God said, come, walk with me. Place the demand, place the demand on him and started working with him. And we get to Genesis chapter 13. By Genesis 13 and verse 2, Abraham was already rich. He already made, God already blessed him with money. This wasn't Abraham's asking. God says, okay, well, beyond that, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make a nation out of you. These were not Abraham's prayer points. God is the one that said, I will do these things. I'll make Israel a great nation. Israel was his idea. It wasn't Abraham's idea. Abraham did not pray to become a great nation. Their coming to being was his idea. Just like your coming to being was his idea. The purpose for Israel was to be his people. Just like the purpose of God for you is to be his person. And whenever that was being done... Israel prospered. Have you read the Old Testament and you understand that as an attachment to the Old Covenant, there was, an, there was a, a provision for prosperity, for health, for peace, for victory over their enemies. These were benefits, side benefits of walking faithfully with God. They were not prayer points. Israel never had to pray for prosperity. It was natural to them. It was embedded in their DNA once they aligned themselves with the God. When Christians are busy holding my videos, you know, everything holding my finances, scatter, 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 scatter. Um, this is my machine gun shooting prayer. All these ridiculous things that we're doing. The reason why is because we're not following him. When we follow him, when we're living by him and for him, when you're giving him pleasure, when you're focused on bringing him glory, when you're focused on advancing his kingdom, those things follow you like it followed Abraham. When God told Abraham, listen to me, this is what most of us do. I'll give you a son. Oh, God made him a promise. This was one that God did not actually just do. God gave him a promise and there was a season of waiting. And for many of us, that's where we are right now. Abraham's got tired of, Abraham got tired of waiting and he started to manufacture his own. He went, went into his wife's maid, Hagar, and gave birth to Ishmael. And God said, no, I reject that. That was not what I said. I said, I will give you a son. So for many of us right now, some of the things that you're making, some of the things that you're chasing, some of the things that you're making for yourself, that you're producing for yourself, is Ishmael. God is saying, that's not what I said to you. Just relax. I've got you. I've got you. You're wondering, oh, I'm wasting time. You know, my friends are going ahead of me. Please listen to me. Listen to me, okay? Just relax. If it's Jesus you are following, 
if it's Jesus that you have camped with, you're going to be fine. You will be a wonder. People would look at you and say, what? How did this happen? Like they did for Jesus. They said, the Bible says they glorified God when they saw the things, the works that he could do. They glorified God. And that's what your life is going to become. Just wait on him. You're made by him, but you were also made for him. So do you want Ishmael or do you want Isaac? Because Isaac is a son of promise. Isaac is completely a product of the spirit. Ishmael is a product, is a product of the flesh and your efforts and your schemes, okay? <laughs> and your machinations. That's what Ishmael is. But Ishmael would always be a pain in the sight to Isaac. So before you do yourself much damage, slow down camp the pathway of Isaac whatever however long it will take I will wait for Isaac I wait for what God is doing in my life I will not manufacture a path that is not consistent with his own I was created by him and for him in Hebrews the Bible says that we are looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith he's the author the initiator he's also the finisher he is the center he's also the circumference he is the source He's also the purpose. I don't know about you, but I've made up my mind. I'll camp with him. There was a period in my life where I was worried. Can we, can we be real? There was a period in my life where I was worried about time. I did a lot of things as a young man. I left university when I was 20. I just turned 20 when I left university. I told you guys the story before. Two months after I turned 20, there about, I was graduating from university. Was an MBA by 23. But along the line, I realized that I suffered some time losses. I realized that certain setbacks had cost me time. And I got worried because I'm a very driven person, naturally. I got worried. I'm being set back, God. I'm being set back. When I did a total of the amount, number of years that I feel like I was set back, I did a total of about six years. I lost about six years when I totaled, not at once, in, you know, in pieces. Sum it all together, I lost two years here, lost one year here, here lost, lost time. I said I had lost about six years. And I was, I was a bit worried. I wasn't admitting it. But I was worried. But I realized that when God's hand comes, it doesn't matter how many years you've lost. You will recover everything according to his ordination. Think about a man like Joseph. How <laughs> Joseph's life was going back every year. It was like he was retrogressing every year. It was like this year, his net worth was like a million dollars. Next year, it was 500. The year after, it was zero. The year after, it was minus 500. He was in debt. His life was going back every year. Every year. Every year. But he camped with God. I don't care. I will never manufacture for myself what you've not made for me. I will not make of myself what you haven't made me. I heard a man of God say this. And these are profound words. That what God can never give me, what God cannot give me, let me never have it. Where God cannot take me, let me never get there. The things that God cannot do for me, let me never achieve. I'll camp with Jesus. It's simple. It's a very simple purpose. The, all these complications of I want a vision about my purpose. Should I be a software technology engineer or a software hardware, I mean a hardware engineer? Look, <laughs> just camp with Jesus. It will be abundantly clear the steps you need to take in life. I have seen him. I have seen him. I'm telling you, I have seen him. And, and in, in seasons when you feel like God is not doing anything. Just stay with him. Just stay with Jesus. First and foremost, you will have peace in your heart. A lot of things that you're chasing, you're worried about, you're giving yourself panic attacks over. God is looking at you and saying, just if only you know that two months down the line, I have a plan. But he's not going to address your panic because it's an act of faithlessness. Like Abraham, he didn't tell Abraham, for example, he said, go and sacrifice Isaac. He didn't say, when you get there, you're going to see a ram. 
Abraham got to the point where he was about to kill his son and God says, ah, hold your horses. I've got a plan. Don't do it. And then God swore a blessing over his life. Blessing over his life. When I see you 10 years from now, okay, what I want to see in you is a person who's followed Jesus consistently. I promise you, you will make progress. Yeah, you will. Read your Bible. God has never asked a person to follow him, to diminish him. You will make progress. You will advance. But the cause that you will, the, the path and the cause that God would advance must be his cause in your life, not the ones that you've manufactured. God said, well, Ishmael, he's not the, he's not the answer. I told you about the son of promise whose name is Isaac. And when Isaac came, the covenant started to flourish through him. And of course, Israel was birthed. And of course, all that happened, happened through Isaac. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.